0: Welcome to Disciple Dojo. We got a treat for you today. Our friend, Dr. Ken Birding stopped back by and we had a discussion about spiritual gifts over the years, I've gotten a lot of questions about what are the spiritual gifts? How do I know my spiritual gift? Do the gifts of the spirit still something that goes on today or did they cease? These are the kind of questions that Christians have different views on, different opinions on. But I also knew that uh, Ken has done some work in this subject specifically that seeks to challenge some of the foundational assumptions people have about what the spiritual gifts are, whether they believe in them still existing or whether they believe that the gifts of the spirit ceased regardless there are some foundational biblical assumptions that he's trying to challenge to get people to see what you actually see when you open up scripture in terms of the spiritual gifts at the beginning of our discussion we start out with kind of some bible nerdiness we get into the greek text and if you don't know greek it may be a little bit over your head at times or you may not be able to follow along that's fine This channel is for people of all levels. And so after we look at the exegetical Greek New Testament stuff, we do move to more broader and overall questions that anyone can understand, whether you do or don't know Greek, and really bring out the implications. Why does this question matter? So all that to say, if it starts to get a little heady at the beginning, and you're like, oh, I can't follow along. Don't worry, hang in there, maybe skip ahead a little bit if you need to on the video. But the purpose of this is to provide a solid biblical foundation For how we look at the concept of spiritual gifts to begin with and some of the misconceptions that we may have imbibed over the years about what the spiritual gifts are. As always, before we jump into the video, if you haven't already, we would really appreciate if you would subscribe and enable the notifications. Just that one little act is tremendously helpful for any YouTube channel and particularly for this one where we're seeking to grow this ministry. And in terms of growing this ministry, I got to say, I've been floored at how much growth we've experienced. And that's because of you. That's because of you guys who are liking and subscribing and sharing videos and following us on Instagram and participating in our giveaway contest. All of those things have just been so encouraging to me and validating what we've been trying to do here at Disciple Dojo for the past few years since we made the pivot to being a YouTube-based ministry. So just thank you all so much. And we are coming up on the end of the year so, in terms of support, if you would like to do more than just help us by subscribing, if you actually want to give to this ministry, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. We rely on donor funding and all of the things that we do at Disciple Dojo, whether it's this YouTube channel, whether it's our refugee jitsu outreach, anti-bullying class that we offer free to refugee and immigrant kids here in Charlotte, or whether it's our ministry for single Christians called the Grown Ups Table over on Facebook. All of the things we do, we do because people give and support this ministry so if you appreciate the ministries of disciple dojo and you want to help us continue them we would love for you to become a monthly dojo donor at whatever amount you're able and willing to give per month all right with that out of the way let's talk with dr ken birding about the spiritual gifts We are here with Dr. Kenneth Birding, a.k.a. the proprietor of the Bird House, um, New Testament scholar. And you may remember last time Ken was on here talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh. And that was one of my favorite discussions I think I've had here in the dojo. So I said, we got to get him back. And what better reason to bring him back than to have him help navigate a question that I get asked a lot, and don't always have the best answer for, because I haven't devoted the time, certainly not the time Ken has, what are spiritual gifts? And and all the permutations of those questions, are the gifts still for today? And what are the spiritual gifts? And how do I know I have a spiritual gift? Is that even a thing? We're going to unpack some of that with Ken. So Ken, it's great to have you back. Thanks for coming back into the dojo.
1: Thanks so much. Really glad to be with you, Jim.
0: Yes. Well, I want to... The reason I had you on is because you have a book. I believe you have it with you. Do you want to hold it up and show the camera? There it is. So it's very simple. What are spiritual gifts? And
1: when did it come out? When did you write it? So uh, when did this come out? I think 2006. So it's been a while. I've been hanging with this topic for forever, it feels like.
0: Well, about 20 years or so, because I have read your journal article. You wrote a journal article. I believe it was in JETS, um, the ETS journal about the spiritual gifts. And then you wrote a follow up in Westminster Theological Journal, uh, looking at some of the how the apostolic fathers saw the gifts. And I've read both of those. Now, confession to JoJo viewers, I have not gotten a chance to read Ken's book that he just held up. On what are the spiritual gifts. I've read the prior journal work, the academic work, but I really do want to add that to my list. And hopefully after this discussion, those of you watching out there will add it to yours as well. So what are the spiritual gifts? Let's start with
1: the title. Uh, By the way, the subtitle is Rethinking the Conventional View of Spiritual Gifts. Let me just start with a story. So this goes back when I, I was a college student. I was a theology major and I was also a Um, a Greek minor, so we read a lot in Greek. In fact, we read the whole New Testament in a year, except for the book of Matthew in Greek. So we're going along, we're reading, and um, this is one of our more advanced classes, and we're reading along, and uh, somebody is translating, because that's what we did all the time, and they came to the word charisma, and I looked down at that. Uh, It wasn't me, but I I remember thinking charisma, huh, that's the word we translate spiritual gifts, which in my head meant special spiritual abilities. Mm-hmm. Can't possibly mean that in this passage. What's going on? So that started me on the longest journey. I just went off, looked up every place that charisma is used in the New Testament, found out that charisma many times can't possibly mean that, and that all you know, Greek scholars would agree with that. And um, in in many cases, it probably doesn't mean some sort of special ability. And, um, and in a few cases, if you read it in, you can read it out, which we usually refer to, not as exegesis, but as eisegesis. So um, that got me started on this journey and I just kept looking, kept thinking, and eventually I just realized we've got a problem going on here, what I would call category confusion. Mm-hmm. So let me unpack that a little bit. So in 1929, Gilbert Ryle, introduced into modern philosophy a term uh, just called category confusion. That means we take something that belongs in one category and we treat it as though it's in a different category. Mm -hmm. We're Christians. We know this uh, really, really well. So the word church, if you're talking to a person who's not a Christian, they'll think of a church as a building. But all of us Christians, we know that a, a church is the people of God. We can meet under a tree out by a river and we are a church. So that's a category confusion example. That's what we've done with the spiritual gifts. We've mm-hmm. taken something that belongs in one category, which I would argue is God-given ministry assignments. In other words, God has given you a ministry, and we have treated it as though it belongs in another category, special abilities, almost like a superpower that you have. Right. Like you have to just dis- you have it. You have to discover it, and a cottage industry has, you know, popped up around it. Many of our church ministries are built around the idea you have to discover your special abilities and use them in ministry, Mm -hmm. separating the ability from the ministry, of course. You heard the way that I said that in that Mm -hmm. sentence. When, in fact, what Paul is actually talking about, primarily what he's talking about, he's talking about God-given ministries. Granted that God empowers, yes, but the emphasis is on ministry. The thing is the ministry. Another way of saying this is that if Paul were standing here with me and he, he, he were talking to me, which would be amazing actually. And, and he said, okay, Ken, so you know what? how are you involved in your church? And I said, well, I'm an elder in my church and sometimes do some teaching and I serve sometimes in this area. And he'd be like, yeah, that, those things, that's what I'm talking about. The thing that God has given you is a ministry role. It's a place of ministry.
0: So, so. You're, would it be fair to summarize or uh, simplify the gift? The gift isn't the ability. The gift isn't your ability to, I'm a teacher. Like, so I teach and teaching is, you know, as the ministry in scripture, but the gift God has given me wouldn't be my ability to teach it would right. be this teaching ministry, right. and God, as I am pursuing that, empowers me to
1: do what's necessary to get that done. Is that fair? That is exactly right. And the empowerment, even though it's usually attached to the assignment, is general empowerment. Like, you know, when you pray, the Holy Spirit empowers you to pray. When you share the gospel, the Holy Spirit empowers you to share the gospel. That doesn't mean, though, that the, emp- the thing becomes the empowerment the activity or better put the ministry role or the ministry assignment is the thing that God has given to us. I would argue that, that from scripture, that's what you actually see emphasized and that we are reading in, we are importing in something into these passages that is not there. Well, what are some of the, let's, let's, there's a couple of
0: ways that we could go with this and I want to kind of touch on different areas, but what are some of the passages like exegetically? How did you get there? You mentioned translating a passage and you thought, well, spiritual gifts, this wouldn't fit there. Maybe we, if you have one or two that you think would be helpful that would bring this out and show why spiritual gifts as spiritual abilities isn't contextually a good fit in certain passages, what would those be?
1: So this is one of those arguments where the the argument is in the details. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'd love to go to any of the three passages, but maybe we could go to Romans 12. So okay. there are three passages, Ephesians 4, uh, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. So Paul has four lists. Whatever you're gonna do with spiritual gifts are gonna be tied up with these lists. Uh, and most people start at 1 Corinthians 12. It's an interesting problem starting mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 12 because there Paul's reacting to a misuse of the miraculous ministries, right? Prophecy, healings, miracles, mm-hmm. tongues, those types of things. He's reacting to that and demoting especially tongues. Right. So that they there can bring balance into the discussion. And so then we usually use his first list of first Corinthians twelve
0: mm-hmm.
1: to interpret everything else. And that's just a problem. Exegetically, that's just a problem.
0: So you say so start people, with Romans. 12. And yeah. we in Romans 12. I'm looking at, we have it up on screen here. So if you're watching on screen, we have the Greek text on the left, the Nestle Alon 28. And then I'm just using the NIV on the right. Um,
1: you tell us where to go and I'll follow along with you. It starts in verse three. Okay. He says, for the grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober thinking. Sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Let me just pause for a minute. Every time Paul uses grace plus given, do you see that grace given to me thing? He's going to do Mm -hmm. that in verse 6 also. Mm -hmm. Whenever he uses this language, he is talking about ministry assignments in the context. And so you would assume that when he introduces with these words, that that's what he's doing here as well. So that's your first comment. Mm Then he goes, verse 4. For, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, the many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one one and another one one of another, having gifts. Just do a comma there. That's one sentence continuing. Having gifts according to the grace given to us that differ, if prophecy in a proportion to our faith, the service in our serving, and so on. And then he actually lists out some of these things there. Mm-hmm. Now this is this is particularly problematic, and I'm just gonna. Hopefully, I'm not gonna just explode people's minds with this thing. But whatever <laughs> translation you're using in verse six, and mm-hmm. the one in front of me, I've got. Let us use them, or uh, I think New American Standard does. Uh, 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 each one should exercise them accordingly. That expression simply does not exist in Greek. It's just absent.
0: Walk us through the Greek text of uh, verse six. The econteis de charismata uh, kata Yeah, let's back to.
1: Can we back up to verse five first? Sure. So okay, actually verse four. It's it's all one long sentence. For those of you who are listening who are not used to this, but Paul just likes long sentences. Right, he loves run-on sentences in English. They go on and on, and we split them up in English because in English we don't use that sort of convention. Uh-huh. but um so back in verse four, as okay. Kata means just as gar four and mm-hmm. heni somati in one body, hola many mm-hmm. mele is parts like body parts, members, mm-hmm. we have uh ta de mele panta and uh the members, all the members do not all have the same function. Let me just stop there for a second. Mm-hmm. That proxine word is really important. Uh-huh. Do you see it?
0: Yep. Um, because you're hovering proxy, over it here.
1: Yeah. proxine is uh, activity or function or mm-hmm. something that you do. That's and where we whole, get the
0: word praxis in our um, yeah. usage, like our behavior, how we act, how we
1: function, how we live. Yeah, and see when Paul Paul likes lists. Mm-hmm. In fact, Paul has a hundred lists. <laughs> oh. He does. How he has I know right that? around a hundred lists. If you oh, wow. if you define uh four things that go together, uh. functioning together as a list, four or more things, he has a hundred lists. You know how I know? Oh, I man. know because I you, counted them. Yeah, I'm That's sure. Right. <laughs> and uh and one of the interesting things is that 80% of the times that he has a list, he uses the word in outside of the list
0: mm-hmm.
1: to determine to de- define what the list is. If that didn't, if you guys didn't follow that, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is a list of, mm-hmm. think in your mind, the fruit of the spirit. How do you know? Because he says in words other than list, he does that in 80% of his lists so mm-hmm. the center of the spiritual gifts discussion is the four lists so you assume that he's going to have words outside of the list that are going to help define what it is and this one you've got proxis right here and okay. you know, jimmy dunn says way too little as commentator jimmy dunn he said way too little is emphasized of uh, this word proxies which just means function or activity uh-huh. so here he goes all do not have the same activity keep going on in verse five mm-hmm. so Poi poloi, the many, hen, one, soma, his body, mm-hmm. s man, we are, and christo, in Christ. Mm-hmm. And then this next expression is kind of really wonky in Greek, the tol de kaf heis alelon mele, means something like, uh, and each one uh, individually members of one another or something like that mm-hmm. so let's just keep going on there and then you see that's a participle it's not a main verb even though a lot of our translations make that a main verb and it should be something like and having mm-hmm. the day is just a really light little connector it's not a strong contrast and having charismata which is part of the question here what is the word charisma mean here? and i would say it's defined by functions probably or race things basically charisma is a is the word grace mm-hmm. plus a concretizing ending ma feels so like concrete grace hottan karin ten and do the he mean diaphora. that is according to the grace which is given to us, and that diaphora right there is an important word. In our translations, this is the word differing, Mm -hmm. or differing, yeah, something like that. Right. And you notice it's just before the list in our Mm -hmm. translations. Normally, we put it earlier or somewhere else, but what he does is he differentiates the things that are following according to that word. I know I'm getting a little technical right here. I hope all you guys are enjoying a little bit of Greek.
0: <laughs> well, we nerd out here at Disciple Dojo, and so That's we're going to cool. sum it up for those who are who don't have Greek, yeah. but this is unapologetically for the Greek nerds that are watching yeah. this. We're good with that. Don't
1: worry. We'll, we'll get there. This is coming. <laughs> so basically what he does is he goes, that differ, and now he's going to give whether prophecy according to the analogion of faith, that's a disputed phrase. Let's ignore that for right now. Whether service in the serving, whether teaching in the teaching, whether, and then he switches to the person in the ministry, not the ministry, the one who encourages or um, exhorts in the encouragement or in the exhortation, and um, the rest of those that continue to go down the list. The point being is that this is a single list And it is not trying to stop the idea of we're in one body and then start up a new topic saying, now you've got spiritual gifts you have to discover and use. He's trying to say, don't be arrogant, guys. We have various roles, ministry roles that God has given to us, which he would say elsewhere that we need. We're all part of one body. And the point is about humility. So if you go back up, And you see verse three, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The point is we are one body. There's unity in it. There's diversity in that there's unity in diversity. Mm -hmm. And we need to be humble about that. We've brought in all sorts of assumptions about spiritual gifts into this that just aren't there. Mm-hmm. But the idea of ministry roles fits very comfortably in this list. So let me let me pause here for a second. For those who are,
0: let's say your Greek is a little rusty, to be <laughs> kind. <laughs> uh, I'm not clearly not speaking of myself at all. Uh, let me read this. How the in the 2011 NIV. Let me read to you how it translates it. And as we walk along on like point out what maybe how you would say it differently or, or how you would bring out what Paul is saying in here. Does that okay. sound? So, so 12th Romans 12, three, I'll just read the NIV and just tell me, yeah, that's good. Or, well, I would put this here or I would rephrase this or, you know, but Romans 12, three says for the, for by the grace given me. How's that? So that's far, so good right. Okay, that's great. <laughs> I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you.
1: Yeah, that's that last phrase is really disputed, but that's fine. Great. Would you translate that differently, or um, teaches might... the Lord is measured a measured of faith, basically?
0: Okay, that's, that's how I it. So it's it's similar. OK, in verse four, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function. Good job. So in great. Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Mm, so, that's great. OK, that sounds good. We have different gifts and there's a footnote here. OK, it's just a cross reference. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now, this is where I think you would say, is gifts the best way to
1: translate this? Yeah, that part of the, I mean, gifts is fine mm-hmm. if you understand what gifts mean. Mm-hmm. Can I pause for a minute? Yes. Yeah. Go, unpack anything so, that needs it. Gifts, gifts in English only means two things. It either means something transferred from one person to another without cost, mm-hmm. or it means a special ability. Mm -hmm. Like a gifted student, or a gifted whatever, or a... He has a gift of speaking, or he has a gift of playing the piano, or something like that. mm -hmm. We, We use it in that way. The first meaning is what would be meant by a gift here. That is something transferred without cost. Something graciously given from God. But in English we can't do this. We can't have this conversation because our minds immediately go over to abilities. Mm -hmm. So I think I just encourage people, if you're going to have this conversation with people, try to do it without the word gift because gift for English speakers goes automatically to abilities.
0: And so what would be an English paraphrase you would use for verse six? Like how might you say to, to avoid the connotations of gifts as being gifted, being having ability
1: first, let me just say, I'm not challenging the translation per se, because gift is appropriate. The problem is our understanding of how the word gift works. Right. But this I is an say, interpretive
0: issue, not a translation right. issue. So if you're going to, pa- let's say you're going uh, yeah, to paraphrase to bring out I would, the Greek meaning. I would say, having God raised ministries. Mm, okay. So we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. You would say that's we right. have it, having different God graced ministries,
1: something like that. Okay.
0: And so then if it goes on to say, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is yeah, serving, so then the, serve. So go ahead. How would that's, you?
1: That's the problem right there. I said, because can you read that for me again? Yeah,
0: yeah. It says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith.
1: Yeah, see, the problem with that is the way the translation is going there is it's separating the uh, kind of the ability, like if your gift is,
0: mm-hmm. then
1: do this. So it's separating the, the ability from the activity, but they're squashed together. In the Greek, there's no separation like that. That's actually a very interpretive translation.
0: In the Greek, uh, I'm trying to, so, so in the Greek, it's uh, ete uh, propheteion. Mm-hmm attain analogion teisteos. Yeah. So how so how it, is this literally in Greek? Literally, it
1: just says weather if. prophecy. it is is just weather. Okay. It's the it's the word that distributes these. So weather prophecy, mm-hmm. according to the analogy I said was disputed, like sort of the proportion, maybe mm-hmm. uh, of face. And the next okay. thing says, weather service in the serving.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so what's happening in NIV is they, they're adding, so what they're, I don't want to say adding words, because you always have to add words to bring something yeah. from one language to another. But they're rendering what in Greek is simply weather prophesying according to proportion of faith. And there's no, there's no you're in this. It's just according to right. proportion of faith. Right. They're saying that is if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy right. in accordance with your faith. So there would, you kind of have to put a bunch of brackets in there if you were doing the old right. NASB to show the words they're adding.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, even the NASB they add in the word that us exercise them accordingly." So they're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So pretty much all the translations are struggling with this. I think the who is it the NRSV i think they do a pretty straight uh forward i don't have that in front
0: of me hold on I, i'm going to i'm going to pull that up and we can compare okay so nrsv says actually i'm going to let me pull up the nrsv ue to just get the most up to date since they just revised it uh it says we verse 6 in the nrsv ue says we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us colon, prophecy yeah. in proportion to faith, ministry in yeah. ministering, the teacher
1: in teaching. Yeah, see, that's better. That's closer. The only thing that it doesn't do is it doesn't connect it with the previous uh, words ahead of it. Mm-hmm. But it's, that's pretty good, actually. Okay. And you can see that it doesn't make the separation between the uh, supposed ability that's lying behind this mm-hmm. and the activity itself. So, yeah, so that phrase,
0: if your gift is prophesying, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah, your gift is prophesying. That's, that's the phrase that it looks like is just not in the Greek at all. Right. The, your gift is prophesying.
1: In other translations, it's, it's like, let us use them Uh or let us exercise them accordingly. And that's how they don't have to stick them into the actual list itself. But. Yeah, most of the translations are putting in something because there is the presupposed idea that there is a separation between the ability and uh, the activity or the ministry itself. Mm. All right. Well, I think we've gone maybe a little bit too far into <laughs> uh, into these details, and there's a lot of other things I could say. Well, it's so maybe we should.
0: It's it's okay. It's good. Um, part of this discussion, the goal of this discussion, is to not. Have everybody walking away going, ah, now I understand what this, but rather to say, oh, wait a minute, I need to look into this again. I need to reassess what I've always just assumed about the spiritual gifts. And the main thing, and I think even just comparing this with the NRSV and the NIV, what you're able to see, for those of you that aren't following along with Greek at all, it's okay, You're able to see how English translations struggle. All English translations struggle in different areas to bring out original language concepts. And this is one of the reasons we're so big at Disciple Dojo on comparing translations. If you don't have access to Greek or Hebrew, you should regularly, regularly be reading three, four, five different translations When you're studying a passage, because you'll say, wait a minute, why does the NIV have this phrase? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. And the New Revised just says prophecy in proportion to faith. Like, whoa, what's going on there? That then will cause you to maybe look at a commentary. Maybe that'll lead you down to do a word study. You might come across this charisma, charismata, like, oh, what does this mean? What does it not mean? So you don't have to be a Greek minor in a Bible college, as yeah. Ken was when he started this journey, to benefit from asking these questions. Let's look at um, the next two, I think there were two or three other passages you think are important, but the, the summary, the overall gist of Romans 12, what would you say to the non-Greek speaking layperson that wanted to know, okay, wait, what's the big deal with Romans 12? How should I read it?
1: Yeah, the main thing that Paul is doing right there is he's trying to say you are, you are part of one body. So, there's unity there. You know, there's diversity in it because we're individually members within it. And there's unity within the diversity. And so, because this is that way, then you need to be humble in the way that you interact with one another. Mm-hmm. That's his basic point.
0: Mm-hmm. So, then let's
1: look at what was the next passage um, Ephesians four. We could look at that okay. if you'd like to. So, you want me to just work through it? This is a real short one. So, this yeah, is yeah, this is a
0: very well-known okay. verse, the fivefold yeah. ministry verse, so to speak. Um,
1: right. So, let's so walk through God, it in Greek. So, Kai is and Altos is he. Edoken is uh, he gave. Mm-hmm. tus goes with uh, Apostolus. So, the apostles. Men on the one hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, tus goes with Prophetas, the uh the prophets, mm-hmm. uh Tus evangelistas, the evangelists, tus de poimenas, uh that is the shepherds, by the galus and there is some question about whether, and by the way, that last one is teachers, mm-hmm. but some question about whether that's he gave the shepherds or pastors, and separately he gave. The teachers, or whether or not he gave shepherd teachers or the pastor teachers, right. sort of hyphenating them together. Yeah, and is this um, but, two
0: so things or is this one thing? Sorry. Right. that's what uh, Christians debate
1: over. That's right. Um, and then verse twelve says, patartis Patartismon for the um, equipping on Hagion of the saints is ergon." Uh, for Ergon, the work, diakonias, of ministry, ace in this case, probably leading to oikodomene, the building up to somatos, of the body, mm-hmm. to Christu, of Christ. By the way, all the passages uh, have body language in them. That's mm-hmm. sort of central to what Paul does, all of this. So, let me just make uh, just a couple comments about this. If you see what does he give in verse 11? Mm-hmm. He doesn't give abilities to become apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. He gives the apostles, right? the prophets, the evangelists. The, he, what he gives is the people in their ministries. Now, this is not just he gives people, but he gives people in their ministries
0: so what we'll pause here real quick cuz interestingly on uh, and you can't see this but the viewers can the niv sa- exactly says exactly what you're saying so christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers the new revised ue says something similar he himself granted that some are apostles prophets evangelists pastors
1: and teachers all fine both of those are fine
0: but they're both, both. countering the the idea that he gave some the ability right. uh, or or the the gifting it's it's talking about the ministry
1: the office the who exactly. thing he gave them exactly right that's right and it's and he gave the people in their ministries so this is not like he gave you know a person's name or something like that he gave a person who is in this ministry there's a very close conceptual relationship between uh, the 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 role that someone is in, and the person who's in that role. Let me, let me give you an example. So if if I say if you said to me, well, "What do you do?" and I say, "Well, I'm the volleyball coach at Los Angeles High School," mm-hmm. um, and that would be almost equivalent to saying, "I coach volleyball at Los Angeles High School." Mm-hmm. So those two ideas are really really close. Uh, we can say it in both ways in English, same way in Greek, they could have done that as well. So, um, that's really interesting because uh, what is this a list of? It is a list of equippers, you, you could say.
0: Mm-hmm. The work of, uh, uh, Ergon Diakonias, the work of funny. ministry to the uh, uh, oika domain. How would you translate oikadomain? domain? That comes from the word house, right?
1: Yeah, to the building up, probably. Building up of the body of Christ. That's right. So, what, what are these people? These are people in ministries that are helping to prepare people to do the work of ministry. Mm-hmm. The ministry is not just supposed to be done by these people. They're supposed to be equipping people to do the ministry so that everybody does the ministry.
0: That's an important point. The Karatismon Ton Hagion, the building up, the training... Uh, Cat Artismus, yeah, training, equipping. That's the – we we have a video here on the channel where it's one of the few rants I've ever done. I rarely do video rants. But I did a rant after a comment I got where somebody was just going on about how they don't need – these resources and learning because of the whole, they just have the Holy spirit or they just read the Bible and Jesus tells them what it means. Or so it was just that same kind of pious nonsense. Um, that's really just spiritual pride. And I pointed to this verse and I said, according to Jesus himself, you do, you do need prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, you need them because that's how the body is built up. And so, the notion that we were just supposed to, and I could go on and rant about it now, but it just, it was basically like, hey, you need the person pouring over manuscripts in a dusty library, determining is that an ioda or is that a, you know, another letter, you need someone sifting through, you need someone translating, you need, it's all part of the body. And, and what you're saying, I believe, if I'm hearing you right is that is the gift that that's one of the spiritual gifts is that oh. ministry, that the process, the, the, all of it together, the spirit is in it, guiding it. And the purpose is not to build up super prophets, super apostles, super healers, no. but it's to build up the body through exactly. all of
1: these different avenues. That's right. And these, mm. these, uh particular people in their ministry roles might be, a little more on the official side of the ministry side of things is you've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, mm-hmm. that type of thing. But if you see the other lists, like the Romans 12 one we already looked at, or if you go to the 1 Corinthians 12 list, it includes things like helps, and administrations. Let's actually, the- let's
0: jump there, if you don't mind. Okay, sure. 1 Corinthians 12. Because it begins... I mean this is you said most people usually go there first and those of you watching you can see on screen why they go there first because the first thing you see is now concerning the spiritual gifts. Right. So this is right. why most people jump there first cuz they're like oh great this is what I want to know let's jump right to 1 Corinthians 12. So to I, summarize before we go into 12 in in Roman, in Ephesians Paul has talked about gifts the gifts God has given are the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, apostles, for the building up of the body, like those offices of ministry and their ministries. And then in Romans, the ministries, and then not just the official ministries, like prophet, apostle, evangelist, but also the list that he gave in Romans 12 that would include, we might say, non-official ministries. That's right. Okay, so now then, why... Go to 1 Corinthians 12, mm-hmm. after looking at those two, what's the payoff exegetically here?
1: All right. So, you get to 1 Corinthians twelve one. 1, and it says, now concerning pneumaticon. We translate it sometimes as spiritual gifts because uh, of what is coming later and because of what is sitting in our minds a lot of times as spiritual gifts. Pneumaticon mm-hmm. only means spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. Now concerning spiritual things, I think he's probably using that at that point to say the things that you think of as especially spiritual, like speaking in tongues and healings and prophecies, because people often read 1 Corinthians 12 wrong by thinking, Paul is writing here about special abilities that we call spiritual gifts sometimes. Mm-hmm so that we can learn how to discover them and use them. Mm -hmm. And that's not at all what's going on in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul is having his own little rant right here. Mm -hmm. You're talking about an earlier (laughs) rant. And he's like, you guys have discovered that God sometimes empowers you to do these types of things, and Mm -hmm. you're making them the thing, and I need to correct you. Here, let me just show you an irony here. Mm -hmm. Paul is reacting to the, the corinthians emphasis on abilities right the the and now what are we emphasizing today abilities do you see that yeah 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 yeah. and so and so you have to so let me let me make one
0: ask you one question before you go because i we glossed over this but i now that i think about this is super important the the when people use the word spiritual gifts they usually think they the Charisma, the that's where the charismatic comes from, and the whole charismatic movement. But that is not the word here in First Corinthians no. twelve. It's right there on the screen. This is no. pneumatikon, yeah, no. and this is like, like Ken said, just means spiritual things, spiritual stuff. So this, even translating this as spiritual gifts, or an NIV says gifts of the spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. Newer vice says spiritual gifts, but even translating it that way, oh, newer vice has a footnote that says or spiritual persons.
1: That's oh, that's possible too.
0: But there, what could get glossed over if you're just doing an English study of spiritual gifts is you may be seeing a passage that's talking about using the word charisma, the charismatacon or charismata, mm-hmm. and this is talking about the pneuma the spiritual thing that's just important to note i think up front is he's not using a rigid set of vocabulary a technical term in each
1: session thank you so much for pointing that out the word technical term means a word that pretty much means the same thing in every place where it's found right like some of our theological terms like Ecclesiology or something like that, which always mm-hmm. means the study of the church. But charisma is not a technical term. No. And neither is pneumaticos, which is mm-hmm. uh, the word that we've got here in the beginning. So the way to read 1 Corinthians 12, in some ways, it's better to read it backwards. And the reason why it's better to read it backwards is because what he's doing in this, in this chapter is he's reacting in the beginning To their problems. He even gives his first list there is their list. And then he gives the body metaphor. And then he gives another list at the end. Interestingly enough, his last list at the end of chapter 12 is a mixed list, some miraculous and some not overtly, obviously miraculous. And he puts those together. And the reason he puts those together is he's trying to say, we're all in the same bowl together. I mean, we're we're all part of the same soup. That's the wrong metaphor. We're all part of the same <laughs> body. Um, so, um, whether you are somebody who is involved in administration or helps, or whether you're someone who's a prophet, we all need each other. In fact, we need some of the ones that we don't see quite as obviously, like the hand or the eye or the foot. Mm-hmm. Some of our internal organs, we need even more because they're more valuable to the body. That's the point that he's making. So because he's reacting against their overemphasis on the miraculous in the early part of the chapter, you get to the end. And he's giving you a mixed list. In some ways, it helps to start at the end.
0: So starting at the end, then reading the chapter backwards at 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And then 28, this would be this mixed list you're talking about. He says, And God has placed in the church... I'm reading the NIV God has placed in the church first of all apostles second prophets third teachers then miracles uh not miracle workers but then just miracles then gifts of healing of helping of guidance and of different kinds of tongues That's mm-hmm. is that the mixed list you're talking about that's the one And then he so also makes this interesting thing he says are all apostles or all prophets or all teachers do all work miracles Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? So he's kind of, I think at least it seems to say, not everybody's doing all this stuff. Everybody's doing a different thing.
1: And those questions at the end in Greek, they require a no answer. So if anybody ever says to you, like, everyone should speak in tongues. The answer is he says here in Greek, it's clear. He says not everyone speaks in tongues.
0: Yes, this is know. important for our uh, viewers in charismatic traditions that no. make that point that everybody has the gift of speaking in tongues. I've also encountered in ministry. I've been to conferences where people have taught everyone has the gift of prophecy. You may all prophesy, so that you know. And they pull from First Corinthians, but this is very clear. That not all are prophets, not all are teachers, not all work miracles, not all have gifts of healing, and not all speak in tongues.
1: Yeah, you could As, even translate it that way. Not all are apostles, are mm-hmm. they? That would be a good way to do it.
0: Yeah, the are they? It brings it out. The Greek, uh, the way the Greek phrases it is, yeah. This and this is something that you learn early in Greek
1: too, I believe. Is no. this kind of question construction? That's right. Uh, it, you can almost do it like this, do it a bit Yoda-ish, like, uh, not all are apostles, hmm? <laughs> not all are prophets, hmm? <laughs> Or something like that. Right. The New Jedi translation. That's right. We're we'll to work on that. Uh, <laughs> I want you to notice up in verse 27, uh-huh. it says, you are the body of Christ mm-hmm. and uh, members of meros uh, in part or from part probably individually members of it is how it's often translated mm-hmm. he says he uses the word members there and that connects to the next sentence too once again we're we're separating up the sentence but he just keeps going and whom whose is a relative pronoun and it points back to the verse before it so it cannot be the the main subject of a new sentence, even though we often separate it there. And then notice the ethetol in verse 28, God has appointed. So, the Mm -hmm. basic point that I'm trying to point out here is that what is the thing that he's given? Well, he's given us ministry roles. Um, So, I guess you could just say working off the ethetol, which is um, a strange form of tithemi, which just means to appoint or to place. Either one of those is fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are they? The things that follow are placements or appointments or something like that, which is the same thing as saying that they're ministry roles. You've got all these clues that are showing up that we just have not been paying attention to. And he already used this word back in, if I can find it, in verse 18, yeah. Um it says, but now God has um, arranged the members or appointed the members, placed mm-hmm. the members. It's the word, it's the same exact right. word. So I he's thought, connecting yeah. this later list with the body metaphor he's already given. So oh. if you ask what is a spiritual gift, it's it's a placement or it's a an appointment to a ministry, and I don't mean a, an official ministry, I mean something that builds up the body of Christ, whether it's a tiny little word of encouragement or if it's a lifelong like paul's ministry to the uh, as the apostle to the gentiles
0: so reading the chapter backwards so paul's put his his list at the end of like this is what this is what i'm telling you you should be doing this is he's kind of leading them to that point and before that he did this whole section about the body metaphor, which people are usually pretty familiar with and they understand because it's a very vivid and easy to understand metaphor. But then before that he opens with before getting to the body, let me scroll up. Um, So he starts the body in verse 12, the body metaphor. But before that, then at the beginning of the chapter, he takes on their list. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Okay, so in chapter 12, verse 7, then, this, is, and, and I'll just read it again. Uh, let me read the NIV, and then I want you to contrast it, to bring out the contrast between this and the list at the end of the chapter. Verse 12 just says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. so this is what most people start their spiritual gifts list by. If you do a spiritual gifts test, those were big when I was in campus ministry. You know, Fine. you, you tr- okay, which one of these do I have? Uh, and okay. there's all these ways we can talk about that in a minute. But what is the difference between this list and what he's going to say at the end that you want viewers to, to really understand and take to heart?
1: Yeah, I think if you if you follow the argument of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he is reacting to an emphasis on um, the miraculous that is taking place in Corinth. Mm-hmm. So they are really enamored of, especially speaking in tongues, but also prophecy and um, healings, probably. Mm-hmm. And so what he does is he takes and he creates a list right here, which are de- defined in verse 7 as the manifestation of the Spirit. These are the, these are the activities that are more obviously manifestational. So if you see these things happening, it's more likely that you're going to say that, you know, the Holy Spirit is there in a way that you might not for a teacher or someone doing administration. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he gathers these together. And that's what makes this a list. So lists cohere uh, around some idea. And the idea here is it's the manifestation of the spirit. What makes this list trickier is that it is highlighting sort of the secondary part of what a spiritual gift actually is. That is the enablement piece or the um, presence of the spirit working in an obvious way piece. But the, the thing itself is still something that builds up the body of Christ, which is how I'm defining ministry anyway. And in some ways, tongues is the one of all of these that um, doesn't seem like it fits very easily into the ministry category, especially because in chapter 14, Paul seems to acknowledge that there is a personal use of tongues like on your own Paul says I speak in tongues more than all of you but in the church only I would only rather have a few words spoken Um, and then he says like only two or three should ever speak during a, a church period in tongues anyways he's demoting tongues there but tongues because it's the one that seems least likely to be in ministry is is my favorite in some ways because the whole chapter 14, the point of chapter 14 is trying to say, it's got to be ministry. It has to right. be ministry. It has to be intelligible. It can't just yeah. be for, the, for wowing people. That's right. And so it needs to be translated, or we usually say interpreted. Mm-hmm. If it's not, then it doesn't do the ministry function that it's for. So tongues is great because Paul actually has a big, long, um, detailed discussion about why it has to be ministry.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you, let me, let's take a rabbit trail for a second, since you are a New Testament scholar and you've done background work. uh, Do you think that, Paul, the the emphasis on tongues in Corinth was because of the practice of oracles and uh, people seeking a word from the underworld or from the gods or from something like they would go seek it and wait and they'd get it and then that's how they knew the God was talking? Or do you think that it was more... General than
1: that. It's possible, especially because of the words he says in First Corinthians 12, right before it. In verse 2, he says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So I think it's possible that he's got some of that in his mind, but I'm not sure.
0: Hmm. Do you and also then the question that I know people are going to ask because I've been asked it many, many, many times. Tongues is, are those human languages, are those angelic languages? Is it kind of the babbling that you s- see some people in charismatic circles do, or is
1: it both and? I, my understanding from First Corinthians fourteen is that they are that there is a difference between the First Corinthians fourteen tongues mm-hmm. and the Acts two tongues. So in Acts two, there is an intelligible language. So they're hearing it in Arabic or Cretan or whatever else right but there are there are enough clues in first Corinthians fourteen to suggest that it's some sort of prayer or praise language, and it would take us a while to actually unpack those clues, but that's where i've I've fallen on that even though I know it's a difficult question
0: right no that's that's why I wanted to get your your where you land because that is something that I know interpreters differ over I haven't to, I don't take a hard stance on it. I haven't done the work to no. really have a valid opinion on it. Um, I do know that in both, whether it's a divine language, so to speak, or an earthly no. language, there has to be an interpretation in a corporate exactly. setting for it to be proper and useful and and allowed.
1: Exactly. By the way, for for those listeners who don't really know me, who come to the dojo, but you haven't really hung out with me before, I kind of live in both worlds. So I have a, a lot of uh, non-charismatic, you know, cessationist friends who I have the hugest amount of respect for, and and have um, you know their their spiritual lives as well. I Have great appreciation, and I also hang out with charismatics sometimes as well, and have grown and learned a lot there. I kind of walk in both worlds, though. I think that if you're going to be a charismatic, you need to have a seatbelt on.
0: <laughs> I liked when you said, "Yeah, we were talking before on, uh, we went on camera, and you said I, I would describe mm-hmm. myself as charismatic with a seatbelt." Um, right. That I I'm, think I'm
1: more. I'm more of a Bible person than right. anything. If I have to choose, at the end of the day, I'm a Bible guy. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's, I, I believe that the spirit really matters.
0: It, a, amen, for sure. And I'm I'm come from the Wesleyan tradition, which is kind of. W- you know, the charismatic, almost all charismatic came out of something of the Wesleyan traditions. And my my personal view as well, I, I do believe the gifts of the Spirit, all of them continue, I don't think you can make a solid biblical argument that they ceased at a certain point in church history. Although I know some good people who try, I just don't find that convincing. I feel like you're trying to fit the an argument with data and instead of actually taking the text, what it says. But that being said, I do know and have seen firsthand a lot of foolishness that people leave the text. They they drift away from the text and the spirit becomes synonymous with whatever gives me goosebumps. So, oh, so-and-so is anointed. Well, why are they anointed? Well, the message they gave was so powerful. What do you mean powerful? Well, I just felt the spirit of God. You know, I, it's like okay. Well, so what you're saying is it made you feel a certain way. I yeah. don't know biblically that's anointing. And this is Thank an issue. You so
1: much for asking those types of questions <laughs> and challenging those things. That's exactly right.
0: Let's say a student yeah. comes to you and says, "Doctor Bernie, I've got. I just heard the most. I went to the most wonderful ministry conference, and it was so anointing. And and then they start telling you things." that just don't have any, I mean, they're, they may not be necessarily antithetical to the gospel, but they don't have any spiritual basis. And, and what do you, you
1: how just, do you respond? You go back to scripture. Where else can you go? You actually have to just go and say, what does the Bible say about this? Now, we well, do have a problem. If there's also a charismatic hermeneutic, that gets, you know, layered onto this too. It's like, God told me that this passage means this. And you're kind of like, Okay, now I got a problem because I can't argue with God, right? Um, but I would just take them back to scripture and, and just say, look at what scripture actually says about that. Right. And if you're hanging out and spending a lot of time with things that are not strongly emphasized in scripture, then you also need a balance issue. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it can be, oh, I don't know, you know, the whole, the whole uh, laughing movement that took place for a while. Uh, you know, associated with the Toronto blessing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I know that there are, there are, there are people who love the Lord, but, but it's just, it's emphasizing something that is just, I mean, there's joy in the Bible and sure we can laugh and all that's great, but it's just not emphasized in the Bible. So you're, you're spending a bunch of time emphasizing something that is just not important. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I actually wrote a little book called Walking in the Spirit. It's a um, oh. Sorry, I sound like I'm being self-promoting here on this, spot. That's, that's not my intention here. Well, that's my wrote, intention
0: for having you in. Share your work. because
1: I wrote, I wrote this about. little book. Uh, it's just from Romans 8. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's really not for, well, I guess it's its more for people who know that the Holy Spirit is important, but don't know what to do about it. Right. And while I was working on that book, I realized that the emphasis in the Bible... On the Holy Spirit's work, the emphasis in Paul, especially, but you could say in the whole Bible, but especially in Paul, is not on the so-called spiritual gifts. This is part of why I've done this whole thing. I'm trying to react a little bit on the spiritual gifts here. Mm -hmm. But the emphasis in Paul is on the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification. So it's just like the Holy Spirit is important for you to walk in the Spirit and to think on the things of the Spirit and to... Put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit and to be led by the spirit and know God's fatherhood by the spirit and to hope in the spirit and pray in the spirit. That's Romans 12 that's Romans eight right there. Not this kind of um, thing that we've gone into so heavily in so many of our churches where we emphasize um, the so-called spiritual gifts as abilities that we have to actually discover and use to be able to be effective in ministry. Like Paul would just be like, "What are you talking about? You need to move in a more emphatic direction in the way that I actually tried to teach you, which is talking about the role of the Holy Spirit and and salvation and in sanctification." So it is. Matters. Yeah, oh yeah,
0: I, it's it's always uh, interesting to me. I I feel like people you can you can get a good handle on how solid someone is biblically by their proportions that they emphasize. And when, like, for instance, an example that doesn't have anything to do with the gifts of the spirit, when there are Christian ministries that are entirely dedicated to a particular focus on Genesis one through 11 or on end times revelation, when you have a whole ministry built around something that are basically two slivers of the entire span of the Bible. I look at that and go, Hmm, I don't know how healthy that is. And I don't know how God led that is because it seems like it's the focus is out of whack. And you're, you're majoring on the minors in the scheme of things, especially then when you see the fruit of those ministries And it's divisiveness and it's slander and it's libel and it's pitting Christians Mm -hmm. against one another and um, Mm -hmm. just being so polemic. I mean, there's a time for polemics, obviously, but when all you do is polemics, I question how much of this is the spirit versus this is what I like to do and I'm interested in doing this and I want to do it and maybe make a lot of money Mm -hmm. doing it. Um yeah, I
1: mentally I mentally put a number on things. I just put if it's super important, like the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, I put a ten on it. Hmm. If it's super unimportant, like whether you should bring coffee into a a service, right, you know, I put a low number on it, a one or a yeah. two or something like that. If it's a middle level thing, like you know modes of baptism, unless you're associating uh, you know associated with actual salvation, like uh, Roman Catholics do. You know, I'm going to put a middle number on that. You know, the mm-hmm. separation between, say, Pres- Presbyterians and Baptists on that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, in the and and depending on the number I put on it, is is how strong I'm going to be on it. I might be polemical. I probably would be polemical if it's up there in eight, nine, ten. I right. think I'm going to stand up, and I'm I'm going to try to be as kind as I possibly can, but I'm not going to back down by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's like whether you bring coffee into the church, I'm going to flex. I'm just gonna let it go. I'm not right. gonna worry about it. And if it's in the middle, you know, like uh maybe baptism, uh you know, women in ministry, some of the middle issues, they matter. Mm-hmm. They actually make a difference. But I'm still dialoguing with a brother or sister about this. Mm-hmm. And um so, we should have discussions and think deeply and disagree graciously, but still disagree on these types of things, yeah anyway would you
0: put where would you put spiritual gifts, understanding of the spiritual gifts as ministries versus
1: abilities? What number would you assign to that this discussion i I think in Paul's day, I would have put it pretty low, maybe down in a three. But because of how much emphasis we put on it in our churches and how far we've gone into this topic, I'd probably put it up maybe a four, mm. maybe a five. Right? Yeah, not a five, <laughs> a four. Yeah, we're you're going to be fine. If if we disagree on this, we're we're going to be fine with each other, you know. You're- but I think. I think I will say that it's been really freeing to a lot of people, especially pastors. I hear from pastors almost every month just saying, thank you so much for writing about this. This is freeing me up. Mm-hmm. You know, people in my church, you know, the most mature people in my church, they have no idea what their spiritual gifts as, as abilities are. Thank you for just, you know, helping us just to ask the question, God, what do you want us to do in ministry? Do
0: you know where in your studies into this issue, do you know where spiritual gifts tests came from? Like who the, where, how those came? I mean, I remember those being a thing. We all had to take them in college and that was how you deter. And they were out. Even then, I just remember taking it and it's like, it's like a hundred questions. I mean, some of them are more extensive than others, but the one we had to take was like pages and pages of questions. And by halfway through, I was like, oh, they're just asking the same thing in different ways. And I'm just going to answer based on what I want my spiritual gift to be. It just seems so
1: silly. And I, but I never knew. Do you know if like, did somebody yeah, know 19, that 1970s, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the influence of Ray Stedman was really important in this. Who is Ray, Ray Stedman? Stedman? So he was a pastor of Peninsula Bible Church. He wrote a book called Body Life. It was really influential super positive thing that he brought in. And so he had a he had a Pentecostal background mm-hmm. and kind of he brought in uh, the, the idea of every member ministry, um, maybe more than anybody else, which is a great thing. Every yeah. member has a ministry, everybody needs to do this. So that was super positive. He also brought in emphasis on trying to discover your spiritual gifts, which is not such a great idea I don't know if the test started with him, but it was somewhere in the 1970s. Okay. I think Gary McIntosh, you can just search for it. I think online he has um, a blog post somewhere where he actually talks about where it came from. And I know Gary McIntosh has done a lot of work on kind of the history of spiritual gifts. It's a very uniquely
0: evangelical, charismatic, really cultural is. thing. Um, it's There's some things that just we kind of imbibe coming up in whatever generation we came up in. And that was one of those that, that yeah, the 80s and 90s, find your right. spiritual gift, <laughs> do your spiritual gift yeah. inventory. That's, that's exactly. funny. Well, what's wrong with that? What would, I mean, taking a spiritual gifts test to determine, I mean, I could take a stab how I would answer after, but I want to hear, like, what is your, not saying that anybody that's ever done these tests is wrong, or any pastor that's ever told somebody to do it is a heretic or anything like that. But mm. in terms of biblical... Exegetical solid faith. What are some problems with giving somebody a test to find their spiritual gifts?
1: Well, I mean, the 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 first problem is that it's more like a strengths finders test or a personality test or something like that, and then we put a veneer of kind of biblical language on top of it, (laughs) and so given it sort of a divine approval, and so that's the bigger that's the bigger problem with it. I think Hmm. I don't think it's well it is hurtful in some ways too because suppose that you take one of those spiritual gifts inventories or a test or one of those things and then it kind of pops out that you should do this kind of ministry well it locks people in i know i know a person who led up um, a really large children's ministry grew a children's ministry in southern california from just uh, you know some dozens of people to hundreds of people involved in this whole thing. And she was, she was leading this children's ministry. And so she thought, I just need to be responsible. I'm going to give all of my children's workers, all of my children's Sunday school teachers, all of them, I'm going to give them a spiritual gifts test. Well, you know what happened? Of course, some of them came out that they didn't have the gift of teaching. So she had dozens of teachers drop out of the ministry. She's like, I'm never going to do this again <laughs> because people locked themselves into certain types of ministries. You've heard it, I'm sure, J.M., I've heard it over and over again, people saying, well, I'm not going to do that because it's not my gift. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that won't work. And exegetically, it won't work either. And here's why it won't work. Because, you know, the the longest, most extensive discussion of spiritual gifts in the Bible is in the Corinthian correspondence. So, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, The Corinthian correspondence is also the place where the theology of weakness is most emphasized. That is, you need to be willing to serve in weakness. How does the theology of weakness and serving out of weakness, how does that work with uh, Mm -hmm. spiritual gifts as strengths or abilities? It doesn't. Mm -hmm. They don't work together because in... um, conventional view of spiritual gifts, you're supposed to discover what your strengths are. You can call them gifts if you want to, but that's probably not the way to do it. And then you're supposed to serve in those areas. But Paul's like, you know, strength is made perfect in weakness. And I think what this means is that sometimes God calls us to serve out of weakness. I bet you a lot of your listeners have had experiences where They're absolutely convinced that God wants them to do a particular ministry for a particular time. And yet, the whole time they're doing it, they're just serving out of their weakness the entire time. Hmm. And God does that sometimes. He even allows us not to be successful in ministry. But again, a problem with the conventional view of spiritual gifts. Because, um, you know, in that, if you're good at something, you're supposed to be able to be successful in that ministry, in that mindset. And that's one of the ways that you know that you're actually in good at this. It's kind of a circular type of idea. Whereas God sometimes will allow us to serve in areas where we are really weak, so that we'll depend upon him, so that we'll be prayerful, so that we'll be humble. Anyway, that's another issue. There are a lot of other issues we've talked about, but that's another one that's a real problem with the exegetical approach of spiritual gifts as abilities. It's
0: really – it's imp- it's an important discussion, and it's one that we are so – and I say we, I mean modern Western Christians for the most part. We're mm-hmm. so enamored with personality tests and yeah. Enneagrams and Myers-Briggs and Get me started, you know, like, Big Five yeah. and all these others. And I, it, you have people that put more emphasis in those things than in – Developing their biblical discipleship, developing their knowledge of scripture, their, you know, relationships with other people, and then it you end up having it used to excuse behavior or excuse misbehavior. You know, oh, I'm a I'm a I'm a nine, so I can't help it, or oh, my Myers Briggs is IMTP, right. I-, I-, I don't know whatever they all are, <laughs> and. And you or, like you just said, "Oh, I can't do that ministry because my spiritual gift is whatever." And it just seems so fundamentally at odds to me with the whole concept of the Holy Spirit giving something and and equipping, building up, that's not something that I feel like you should ever have to take a test to find. I think Mm -hmm. that it's something that the Holy Spirit makes it pretty clear, if we're listening and if we're grounded in our faith and in a functional, non dysfunctional body of believers that are seeking the same thing. It just seems like a lot of, um, just seems like a lot of fuss and messing around. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to. I'm trying not to be anti people that are into that kind of stuff, because I haven't done right. the work to really have a solid opinion on a lot of gotcha. the issues. But at the same time, I think we just over complicate something that I don't feel is very complicated in scripture. That's um, right.
1: Let me show you one, uh one really clear distinction that might help your listeners okay. uh, to understand the difference between these two views. So let's just call it this, spiritual abilities view and the spiritual ministries view, to make Mm -hmm. this real simple. The spiritual abilities view says you have to ask two questions and try to correlate those. The two questions are, what special abilities do I have? And the second one is, what ministries does God want me to do? They have to be correlated somehow. Mm -hmm. In the spiritual ministries view, you only ask one question. God, where do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do? That's mm-hmm. it, and so that that just simplifies things. In some ways, let's just be honest it it uh, demotes the entire discussion to be not quite as important as we've made it to be. It's just trying to say we're going to just bring it into this other whole area, this biblical theological category of ministries, which exists in Paul, whether you have these spiritual gift passages or not. That. That is a biblical theological category uh, ministry assignments, places of ministry, and it's just trying to say this is this is part of that. Hmm. so sir, ask God, where do you want me to serve because because God has purposes for each one of us. everyone should be serving somehow. God has given everyone at least one, probably multiple places of ministry, and they can change some of them are short term, some of them are long term anyway that that can be very helpful. To keep all of that. Would you life. say, would it be fair for you to
0: say, <clears throat> or if somebody were trying to summarize what your argument is, is it fair to say the argument or the position is God calls and gifts people with ministries? And as part of that, he gives them abilities they need to do what needs to be done when it needs to be
1: done. Yeah. Great. Is that fair? I like that. Okay. Sure with the caveat that God will even sometimes allow you to serve out of your weakness i mean always with a dependency upon him but even he will allow us sometimes not to be successful mm-hmm. in the area of ministry that he calls us to do i think that's reassuring
0: for people because um like i my passion and and ministry is teaching and it, and it has been since college and i thought it was might maybe oh well god's given me the gift of teaching and how i've come to understand it and then coming across your work sort of solidified what i had already been thinking in a number of ways which is great is that i feel god's called me to the ministry of teaching and as a corollary of that he's given Mm -hmm. me the ability to explain things Mm -hmm. or to walk people through things and the temperament to deal with uh People who push back (laughs) with a measure of grace, not quite as gracious as some of my other friends, especially here on YouTube, but, but that makes, that seems to make a lot of sense. And it still upholds the fact that yes, God does give people abilities. The Holy Spirit did equip people, Old Testament and New Testament with abilities to do things at times, but the abilities weren't their gifting primarily. It was the ministry that he was calling them to exercise that's right. All part of it. That makes a lot more That's sense. Right.
1: Yeah. And and for a lot of people, this has actually been freeing to them. They don't I have see to. see how. Yeah. Kenneth Concer was uh, one of the first editors of Christianity Today. He was a, okay. very, uh, a theologian of real stature. Um, Robertson McQuilkin also was a really great church leader, a good man of God. But I think Robertson McQuilkin commented on Kenneth Concer and says, you know, he never knew what his spiritual gifts were. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because a lot of people, even spiritual people, I think it's Gene Getz who just stopped giving uh, spiritual gifts tests in his churches because a lot of the most mature people in his church, some of them, they had no idea how to even work with this. Right. So, and, and the reason why people don't know how to work with this is because the Bible doesn't tell us. Right. One of the most interesting things is in the Bible, we have nowhere where it's saying you should discover And use your spiritual, your special abilities. You never see that. We're emphasizing something that you just don't see in the Bible.
0: Yeah, that's when you know you're getting away from Scripture, is when you're emphasizing things that Scripture doesn't even speak on or mention. The spiritual gifts, even even what's always struck me is, even if you take the, these are spiritual abilities. Let's say you take that view, because that's just all you know the To me, the biggest thing that that gave me pause about spiritual gifts inventories and tests and, and systematizing and categorizing is that none of the lists are the same. Is that oh. right? I mean, the list, there's right. differences. Every time the lists oh. of spiritual gifts are given, they're always different. There's some things that appear on multiple lists, but oh. what it tells me is that Paul's giving examples of things or the types of things that God does rather than an exhaustive checklist. And we piece together and systematize it. And now we have this formula that we can Mm -hmm. uh, just plug in to our life.
1: That's right. I agree.
0: I want to wrap up with two questions to you that, how would you answer one? Let's say you have a viewer and I know we have viewers who are, uh secessionists who believe that uh the miraculous gifts ceased; those were just to validate the preaching of the gospel and once the canon was closed then that's the perfect we don't need the other and so the all those gifts just they're not around today so what does any of this discussion have to say to a secessionist and then on the Mm -hmm. flip side what do you want to say, should we say to someone who is full bore, no seatbelt whatsoever, charismatic and embraces any of the new movements that come along and is just kind of getting untethered? Um, mm-hmm. What does this discussion have to say to those two? Because I know we have Dojo viewers who I would put in both of those categories. Yeah. And I love them, but I'm hoping to kind of <laughs> draw back into the balance. So how would you, you have a chance to address both type of Disciple Dojo viewer. What do you say to them?
1: Well, on our, our uh, particular topic that we're talking about right now, I would say that both need to reevaluate their exegetical base. Mm-hmm. Because surprisingly, cessationists and continuationists on both ends of the spectrum, agree that these are abilities, and that's a problem. Hmm. I think we need to just come back and just say, okay, what are we talking about here? We're talking about ministries. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of what I'm talking about actually is not going to uh, negatively affect <laughs> whatever you happen to hold on this. So, if you're a cessationist, you su- you certainly can um you know, hold this position i was I recently spoke at a uh, you know, a fundamentalist denominational meeting about this topic. and that made sense, and it helped them. I think they appreciated it. though so someone I think found out beforehand that I was a continuationist, and that became a problem for them. but i really I really do love them. and i I want to say this to the people who would caricature sometimes cessationists as being like just so, totally anti-miraculous i have seen people who are theologically cessationists who have a really good walk with the lord Mm -hmm. who love the lord and they pray even to the point i don't know if i should say this but even to the point where sometimes they'll be uh they'll be praying and it's like i need to they're praying for a friend let's say i need to go and speak to this person about this thing and they go and they speak to the person about whatever they speak and and God does some work in them, whether encouragement or conviction or whatever. And, you know, they might have just prophesied and not known it. Mm. I think that that actually happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. But again, that's not the category you're working with if you're a cessationist. Either way, I have many people that I really love in the cessationist circles. But I would encourage cessationists also to realize that there are some continuationists who care about Scripture. Like um, really, really care about staying rooted in scripture and they in no way think that prophecy is going to overtake um, the word of God. They would never ever put it on the same level. It's just a word for the moment for a particular situation uh, that does not have universal application. I would encourage the, um, the folks who are way in the kind of the unhinged charismatic side of things to emphasize what the bible emphasizes mm. basically on that side of things i think that the the doctrine of pneumatology which is the study of the holy spirit has been overtaken by the discussion of spiritual gifts in pentecostal and charismatic circles so that when they talk about the holy spirit it's all about power and it's all about kind of these various kind of miraculous types of things it is not the center Of spiritual gifts. It's certainly not at the center of what Paul emphasizes, and Paul, of course, is the theologian of this topic. Mm -hmm. So, um, I would encourage them to really go back to Scripture, look up the whole, everything that, say, Paul says about the Holy Spirit. By the way, don't avoid Luke, don't avoid John either. There's really rich theologies of the Holy Spirit in both of those authors as well. And you can obviously draw lots of things from the Hebrew Bible as well on that, just not as much because it's fuller in the New Testament. But I would just go through Paul and just say, what does he say about the Holy Spirit? I actually do this work for you. If you want to pick up my book on spiritual gifts, I actually have two chapters which just talk about uh, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And I'll do the work for you. But you can do it yourself. Just look it up and emphasize what is emphasized there, and that would be the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation and especially the role of the Holy Spirit in just the daily walk of sanctification
0: mm. Th- I, those are great answers for both people on both sides absolutely well have we is there anything else that we need to touch on <clears throat> before we
1: go? I mean there's a lot more but <laughs> this is this is great. I enjoyed what we've talked about and thanks so much for um, being a great host too this has been been um, interesting just talking about this with you and i hope it's helpful to readers i really do i'm hoping this will be freeing to them and also maybe modeling a bit the exegetical method Mm. just paying attention to some of the details of the text at least that part of it
0: yeah absolutely well i that's that's what we want to cultivate here at disciple dojo we uh, the 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 highest level we can of biblical scholarship and the most practical and what does this mean for life area of application. I think if we jettison either of those you get a truncated ministry. And so <clears throat> yeah, I'm just it's great to have you back. Uh, thank you. We're I'm going to figure out some other um, excuse I can get to wrangle you back in the dojo for future discussions in the new year, but thanks so much have a fantastic holiday season and a wonderful new year. Ken it was always great to talk to you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: It's always great to have Ken in the dojo. Super appreciative. If you missed our previous discussion where we talked about Paul's thorn in the flesh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And if you want to go deeper in what Ken talked about here, I'll put a link to his book in the video description. So go check it out. Go deeper. Whatever you believe, whether you agree, whether you disagree, whether you have some reservations, you don't quite know what you believe yet. That's all great. We want to encourage people. What I always say at the end of every video, I'll say it this time as well, keep training. That's what we encourage here at Disciple Dojo. So check out Ken's book, go deeper in scripture, be willing to challenge your assumptions, be willing to step onto the theological mats and spar with other people, but in a way that builds up rather than tears down. That's what biblical discipleship is all about. That's how we grow in our understanding of God's word and how he wants us to be in this world. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time back here at Disciple Dojo. Thank mm-hmm.